This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Let's start the evening with a few laughs with our Miss Brooks. Uh, she was a hit on radio from the very outset. Within eight months of its launch as a regular series, the show landed several honors, including four for Eve Arden, who won polls in four individual publications of the time. Arden had actually been the third choice to play the title role. Harry Ackerman at the uh, time was CBS's West Coast Director of Programming. He wanted Shirley Booth for the part, but he realized Booth was too focused on the underpaid uh, downside of public school teaching at the time. Uh, Lucy Gabal was believed to have been the next choice, but she was committed to my favorite husband. So eventually it landed up with Eve Arden. Now, Armis Brooks was considered groundbreaking for showing a woman who was neither a scatterbrained klutz nor a homebody, but rather a working woman who transcended the actual or assumed limits of women's working lives at the time. Connie Brooks was considered a realistic character in an unglamorized profession. She often joked, for example, about being underpaid, as many teachers are, and who showed women could be competent and self-sufficient outside their home lives without losing their femininity or their humanity. Our Miss Brooks remained Eve Arden's most identifiable and popular role. Yeah, I wonder what she would have made of today's Me Too movement. Hmm? Well, let's listen in for Our Miss Brooks and Another New Dress. Colgate Dental Cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth and help stop tooth decay. And Palmolive Shave Creams for a smoother, more comfortable way to shave bring you Our Miss Brooks starring Eve Arden. It's time once again for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks under the direction of Al Lewis. Well, her salary as a teacher covers all her basic expenses, but our Miss Brooks, who teaches English at Madison High School, has discovered that there are certain luxuries it won't pay for. Luxuries like clothing, for instance. However, last Monday, I dropped into Madame Amelia's dress shop to price some of the items she was featuring in a post-Easter sale. In no time at all, I discovered that if Madame Amelia would let me pay for it on time, I could easily afford the sales tax on her cheapest dress. <laughs> But thanks to a proposition Madam made to me, I did leave the store with four new dresses. At breakfast Friday morning, my landlady commented on one of them. Another day, another dress. It's a beauty, Connie. Thanks, Mrs. Davis. You've no idea what it's been like to sit opposite you during this past week. Every day a new dress that looks like the first breath of spring. Glad you like them, Mrs. <laughs> Davis. But I wish you'd cheer up a little. Your dress looks like the first breath of spring, and your face looks like the last gasp of winter. 
What's the trouble, Connie? Well, you know the agreement I have with Madame Amelia, don't you? Why, yes. She said she'd give you a brand new suit free of charge if you'd introduce some of her clothes into Madison High School this week. I wasn't only supposed to introduce them, Mrs. Davis. There was also supposed to be an increase in business. Well, since you've been wearing the dresses, hasn't business increased? Twenty-five percent at Dewberry's across the street. <laughs> That's ridiculous. The jump at Dewberry's is just a coincidence. You deserve the dress anyhow. Look at the work you've done. How many other teachers would want to wear a brand new dress to school every day? I don't know. How many teachers are there in the United States? <laughs> no, I'm afraid I haven't lived up to my part of the bargain. As a matter of fact, our agreement officially terminated last night. I was supposed to return the dresses then. But you're wearing one of them this morning. I just couldn't face my old blue jersey suit for at least one more day. Besides, I figured after all this time, somebody's bound to notice me. You mean no one's paid any attention to your new outfit so far? Well, I did get some encouragement yesterday. I'd been sitting opposite Mr. Boynton at lunch for three days in a row, and each day I had a new dress on. Yesterday, he finally noticed something different about me. What did he say? He said, Miss Brooks, you've got some eraser dust on your neck. <laughs> of course, a few of the female members of the faculty admired the dresses, but they're evidently too poor to do any buying. How about your principal, Connie? Did he comment on the transformation? Mr. Conklin hasn't commented on anything but his newest economy drive. Another one? Well, he just ordered a big cutback in school expenses last month. That came from the Board of Education. This is his own idea. And you ought to see him enforce it. Why, I broke a pointer the other day while he was in my classroom, and before it even hit the floor, he had snatched up the short piece and filed down the rough edge. <laughs> then what did he do with it? He gave it to a teacher with long arms. <laughs> oh, he's a beauty, all right. <laughs> That's Walter Denton. Be right there, Walter. <laughs> I've got to run, Mrs. Davis. Thanks for breakfast. You're welcome, dear. And don't look so discouraged about the deal with Madame Amelia. You've still got today to put it over. I'll try. Just remember this, Connie. Whether it's modeling or anything else, you only get out of something what you put into it. Believe me, Mrs. Davis. Everything I've got, I've put into this dress. <laughs> Walter, keep your eyes on the road. What in the world are you staring at, anyway? Just the most scintillating vision in the world. Huh? I wish I didn't have to drive at all. I wish I could just sit here and drink you in and all your intoxicating loveliness. Well, hand me a mirror. I'd like to get high, too. Honestly, Walter, this flattery is overwhelming. Oh, it's only your due, Miss Brooks. Gosh, I've always admired you personally, but the way you've looked this last week makes the way you used to look positively hag-like. I should have quit when I was ahead. The dress you've got on today's a knockout, Miss Brooks. What are those colors in it? They're chartreuse and cerise, Walter. They are? Of course, those are the fancy names. Actually, these colors are nothing but good old, down-to-earth, plain and simple, puce and magenta. <laughs> Dressing the last few days has had eyes popping all over the school. That's funny. I haven't heard a thing. <laughs> Are you kidding? Why, half the female members of the faculty look like Eddie Cantor. 
Of course, I'll admit it took everybody a few days to start noticing your new wardrobe, but I think I have the answer for that. Oh, what is it? Well, it's because everyone has seen you in that blue jersey suit of yours for such a long time. It got so that after a while, nobody ever looked below your face. <laughs> Don't you think that hits it right on the nose? It sure does. Got a Kleenex? <laughs> oh, I am glad that somebody's finally noticing these outfits. I wouldn't be human if I wasn't. Oh, don't you worry about that. You're human, all right. Thanks for the affidavit. <laughs> Harriet told me you got the outfits at Madame Amelia's. Uh-huh. I told my mother about them last night, and she said she must be a wonderful dressmaker. Oh, she is? Yeah, my mother said she wants to visit the place herself, but she was wondering when would be a good time. What is she doing yesterday? I mean, <laughs> any time all right, I guess. Oh, before I forget, Miss Brooks, uh, when I spoke to Harriet on the phone this morning, she said to tell you to please stop at her dad's office as soon as you get to school. Uh-oh. It's probably in connection with this new economy drive of his. I extravagantly requisitioned a new eraser last week. <laughs> Isn't this drive a pain? He's even cutting down on our athletic equipment. Look, here we got a big track meet coming up, and he won't provide any high hurdles for the guys to practice on. All we got is the old low hurdles. Oh, that isn't an insurmountable problem, Walter. What do you mean? All you have to do is put up the low hurdles and let the boys run on their knees. <laughs> Who is it, and is your business urgent? <laughs> it's Miss Brooks, and it can wait indefinitely. Bye. Not so fast. Come in, Miss Brooks. Now then, I'll come right to the point. The reason I wanted to... Miss Brooks, isn't that another new dress you have on? Yes, sir. Really remarkable. Miss Brooks, may I ask you a question? Certainly, sir. Are you able to dress this way on your salary, or have you come into an inheritance? <laughs> no, sir. No, sir what? No, sir, Mr. Conklin. <laughs> come into an inheritance. But these new clothes, how do you pay for them? Well, you see, sir... You don't really... gamble, do you? <laughs> oh, no, sir. Well, I don't want to pry into your personal life. After all, you've worn that blue jersey job long enough. <laughs> Suffice it to say that in the past week, you've given the rest of the faculty something to shoot at. The dresses can't be that bad. <laughs> On the contrary, they're very smart. But to get back to the reason for your being here, as you know, Miss Brooks, I am in the midst of a new economy drive here at Madison. Oh, I know, Mr. Conklin. Mr. Boynton and I discussed it thoroughly at lunch yesterday. Oh, then you're beginning to feel the pinch. Certainly not. All we ever do is talk. <laughs> yes, sir. I'm afraid everyone's feeling the pinch. Well, believe me, it's a necessary measure in these parlous times. Mr. Stone, the head of the school board, is coming over to my home this afternoon for tea. Naturally, I'm interested in impressing him with the strides we've made at Madison. Naturally. And it has occurred to me that an excellent way to convince him of the wisdom of my economy policy is to show him what a teacher such as yourself can do on a limited budget. Me? Yes, Miss Brooks. If you'd come to our home this afternoon, my wife and I would be most pleased to see you. In one of your new dresses, that is. Well, that's very nice, Mr. Conklin, oh, but I... Oh, and since it's a bit late for her to pick up anything, uh, would you consider lending Mrs. Conklin one of your other new creations? Just for the day, of course. Well, Mr. Conklin, I it's like this. I don't want you this. to think that this is a command performance, Miss Brooks, but 
You will be there at four, won't you? Yes, sire. Sir. Excuse me. Principal's office. Who? Oh, she's in my office right now. It's for you, Miss Brooks. Be brief, please. Yes, sir. Hello? Who is this? Madam who? Oh, yes, I know last night was the last... Yes, but I just have them back today. But I... Very well. As quickly as possible. Goodbye. Well, if you'll excuse me, sir, I'd better be getting into class. Nothing wrong, is there? Wrong? Well, what could be wrong? I just don't want to be late. You know how hungry my pupils are for learning. Starved is the word. (laughs) Well, you'll be at my house at four shop, Miss Brooks. Is that correct? Mr. Conklin, I'll be there with bells on, if nothing else. time, I had almost decided to confess to Mr. Conklin that I didn't really own any of the Madame Amelia dresses. But before making that decision, I thought I'd discuss it with Mr. Boynton. When I arrived at the school cafeteria, I purchased my lunch and had just sat down to a table when who should come walking by but Mr. Boynton himself. Naturally, he stopped immediately. Sorry, Miss Brooks, I I didn't see your foot there in the aisle. Oh, forgive me, Mr. Boynton. I didn't mean to trip you so hard. I hope your lunch isn't all wasted. No, Miss Brooks. Luckily, my salad landed right side up. My hamburger landed on my salad. Here's a napkin. You landed on your jello. Thanks. Let me help you pick up your dishes. Gosh, that was a strawberry jello I sat in. Does it look terribly messy, Miss Brooks? No, not at all, Mr. Boynton. In fact, it's rather attractive. I bet when you walk down the school steps, you'll look just like a sunset. But, Mr. Boynton, there's something I'd like to ask you. Oh, oh before you do, Miss Brooks, I'd like to pop a question to you first. Of course, it, it might be considered quite personal, but with your permission, I'll pop it anyway. If you're going to pop the question, I've been waiting for you to pop. Pop away, Pop. (laughs) Miss Brooks, that dress you've got on, isn't that another new one? Why, Mr. Boynton, you've been paying attention after all. You like it? Oh, very much. It's a very interesting shade. Yellow, isn't it? Just where the butter landed when you dropped your tray. (laughs) It's mostly chartreuse, Mr. Boynton. It's very exciting. Almost identical in shade to the skin of a young frog. (laughs) This is the third or fourth lovely new dress you've put on this week. How do you do it, Miss Brooks? I just drop them over my head and pull up the zipper. (laughs) Of course, I, I was very fond of your blue jersey suit, too. It held a sort of sentimental attraction for me. You know, that's the suit you were wearing when we met. Yes, four years ago. Well, I, I must admit, I wasn't too crazy about it at first, but, well, it, it really grew on me. Me too. <laughs> I had quite a time chiseling it off last Monday. But about those new dresses, Mr. Boynton, I'd Miss like Brooks, to... 
The fact that you were able to acquire such garments on a teacher's salary is extremely commendable. Well, thank you, Mr. Boynton. Now, I've always admired a woman who can budget herself properly. A woman who can do that could be a real asset to a man. She could? A man could hunt for such a woman for, for years and years. Four of them, to be exact. With a clever and thrifty companion, there's no telling how far a man could go. Go, go! <laughs> continue, Mr. Boynton. Well, to, to sum up my feelings in the matter, I, I can only say that this type of woman is downright marriage timber. Timber! <laughs> no, I, I'm serious, Miss Brooks. Seeing you in these new outfits has, has opened my eyes and... There's something I'd like to say to you. Pardon me, Miss Brooks, but I've got to talk to you for a minute. Oh, for heaven's sakes, Walter, what is it? I'm not interrupting anything, am I? Just my future. What can I do for you? Well, there's a delivery truck outside from Madame Amelia's dress shop. The driver says you've got four dresses to send back. Send back? Yes, it's just a temporary measure, Mr. Boynton. You mean the dresses are all going to be altered, Miss Brooks? No, Walter, like I said before, just my future. Miss Brooks, heading for Daddy's office? Yes, I am, Harriet. I just left him. I've never seen Daddy in such excellent humor, Miss Brooks. He's sure that your new gowns will make a big impression on Mr. Stone this afternoon. In fact, he said that your little visit this morning was like a tonic to him. Wait till he hears the Mickey I've got for him now. <laughs> uh, I'm afraid I won't be able to come to tea this afternoon. Won't be able to come? But why not, Miss Brooks? And where's the gorgeous Madame Amelia dress you had on this morning? In a delivery truck on Main Street. But I don't understand. You're wearing your old blue jersey again. Where did you get that? Out of a bundle I had ready for the Salvation Army. <laughs> it's a long and gruesome story, Harriet, but I had to send the dresses back. You see, I never really owned them. I was just modeling them for Madame Amelia. If business increased, she said she would give me a free one. But it didn't, so she didn't. And I'm back where I started last week. Shall we dance? <laughs> well, don't look so desperate, Miss Brooks. All isn't lost. Then where is it? You're going to love me for this. I was so captivated by those new gowns of yours that during your English class, I secretly sketched two of them. Then I took the patterns to home economics class, and we spent the past couple of days making exact copies. What? I know you promised to lend one to Mother, so it'll work out just perfectly. Of course, we made them out of airsats material, but beggars can't be choosers. And after all, the main thing is not to disappoint Daddy. But don't you think your father and Mr. Stone will notice the difference? Of course not, Miss Brooks. When it comes to dresses, women have been pulling the wool over men's eyes for years. Well, Miss Brooks, what do you think of my idea? To tell the truth, Harriet, it's not bad. <laughs> I'm glad we got home ahead of Daddy, Miss Brooks. He gave me a chance to reinforce some of the weak places in this dress. Now, stand still while I pin this basting in back. Where are the pins I asked you to hold? I've got them in my mouth, Harriet. Help yourself. Your mouth? Why, that's no place to put pins. Ouch! Neither is that. <laughs> Sorry. We've got to hurry, though. I heard Daddy and Mr. Stone go into the living room about five minutes ago. I must admit you copied the style of Madame Amelia's dress perfectly, Harriet. But tell me, what kind of material did you use? Well, we started with rayon, and when we ran out, we used muslin. Some of it feels like cheesecloth to me. 
Oh, it's loaded with cheesecloth. But don't worry, Miss Brooks. The way I've got it basted, no one can possibly tell the difference. I'll bet your mother will tell the difference when she puts hers on. Well, frankly, Miss Brooks, I haven't had a chance to tell her it's a copy. I just left it on her bed when she was getting the tea ready and then rushed back here to you. What? You mean to tell me your mother doesn't know there's nothing between her and a life of shame but some cheesecloth and a fervent prayer? <laughs> Gee, I never thought of it that way. If mother bends over or sits down too quickly, we're sunk. We're sunk? Your mother won't be in such good shape either. <laughs> you both got to be very careful. I tell you what I'll do, Miss Brooks. If I see anything beginning to go, I'll give you a verbal signal. A verbal signal? Yes. Since we'll be having tea, I'll just say something like sugar and cream, Miss Brooks, or pass the lemon. Now, come on. Everybody's waiting for your personal appearance. With the wrong kind of a break, this can be the most personal appearance I've ever made. <laughs> but mind not to reason why. Lead on, Harriet. Right in here, Miss Brooks. Well, here we are, Daddy. So you are. You know my daughter, Harriet, Mr. Stone. Certainly. Hello, Harriet. How do you do, sir? And Miss Brooks. Well, that is an attractive dress you have on. Thank you, Mr. Stone. I've been telling Mr. Stone about the wardrobe you've acquired recently, Miss Brooks. It certainly gives impetus to an economy drive when a teacher can do what she's done, eh, Mr. Stone? Very impressive, Conklin. And thanks to the way I manage my personal budget, Mrs. Conklin has been able to enhance her wardrobe recently. She's probably jumping into her new duds right now. I don't advise it. Oh, I see she's left the tea right here on this table. May I act as temporary hostess? Please do. I'd love some tea, Miss Brooks. Uh, sugar and cream, please. So soon? <laughs> I'll pour it for you, Miss Brooks. You stand still. Well, hello, everyone. Hello, Mrs. Conklin. Happy to see you again. Say, that's a stunning dress you have on. Yes, you look positively ravishing, my dear. Stand just as you are. Don't move a muscle. Yes, hold it for about 45 minutes. I don't believe I've ever seen you looking lovelier, Martha. You and that gown are a match that was made in heaven. Oh, now, Osgood. Honestly, Mr. Stone, sometimes when Osgood pays me a compliment, he gets so extravagant with his praise, I could just split. <laughs> You're holding the wrong thought, Mrs. Conway. <laughs> and may I pour you some tea? Oh, thank you, dear, but I can pour it myself. Bending over is good for me. Oh, but you mustn't bend, Mother. Here, I'll get you a cup. Oh, I'd rather do it myself, Harriet. After all, the more one bends over, the more one takes off around one's middle. <laughs> but, Mrs. Conklin, one can take too much of one's middle. After all, it's nice to have something between one's bottom and one's top. <laughs> Yes, yes. Uh, but uh, <laughs> why are we standing? Let's sit down, shall we? Very well. Oh, wait. It's not healthy to sit down after a heavy meal. Heavy meal? But none of us has had anything to eat since lunchtime. I know, but why take chances? <laughs> <laughs> you and your quips, Miss Brooks. <clears throat> now, let's all be seated. Just a moment. What is it now? I propose a standing toast to our host and hostess. Here, here. A toast to our host and hostess. <laughs> now can we sit down? Uh, would anyone like to hear some music? Oh, that's a great idea, Harriet. Get out your phonograph record of John Philip Sousa playing the Star Spangled Banner. <laughs> now stop the horseplay, you two. 
Sit down, Mr. Stone. Now, just where were we in our discussion, sir? Mm, you were pointing out to me, Osgood, what a teacher could do on her present salary if she really tried. Ah, exactly, exactly. And not only a teacher, but anyone who lives on a budget. Take that dress my wife is wearing. Oh, now, let's not talk about me anymore, Osgood. Well, why not, my dear? Blushing becomes you. Oh, well, I'm just a little warm. I think I'll open a window in here. It's not that warm in here. Perhaps not, but I thought I'd like to let in a little more air. Uh, now, please, Martha, just sit down. Very well. What was that? That was Mrs. Conklin letting some more air in. It sounded like something ripping. Is that your dress, Mrs. Conklin? Oh, certainly not. It's still the same lovely three-piece suit it's always been. Three-piece suit? Martha, stand up a minute. Yes, Osgood. What did I tell you? It's the same lovely four-piece suit. It's all with two pair of skirts. This dress is coming apart at the seams. But I, I don't understand. That... Neither do I. But I'd better get into my bedroom and change. Excuse me, please. Miss Brooks, perhaps you can explain what's going on here. Uh, not now, Mr. Conklin. I'd better go in and help Mrs. Conklin change. I'm sure she can manage by herself. Now sit down, Miss Brooks. Yes, sir. Sugar and cream, Miss Brooks. Get your own sugar and cream, Harriet. <laughs> Miss Brooks, sit down. <laughs> what's going on here? Not much, Mr. Stone, but an awful lot is coming off. <laughs> I'd better pour myself a cup of tea. Oh, the lemon, Miss Brooks. Where's the lemon? It went that way. <laughs> Uncle, I think I'm beginning to see what this is all about. I beg your pardon? First, you give me all this talk about retrenching. Then you demonstrate that what a teacher can buy on her salary these days is actually nothing but junk. I've got to give you credit, Conklin. Your idea is brilliant. It is? <laughs> Certainly. You've given me a graphic display that too much economy can't possibly work in these days of rising prices. Osgood Conklin, you're really clever. Oh, come now. <laughs> oh, sir, all. After all, my wife and Miss Brooks were a considerable assistant, you know. Yes, indeed. You, you and Martha would make a fine pair of actresses, Miss Brooks. Well, thank you, Mr. Conklin. I know one theater in town that would love to have us. <laughs> Which one is that, Miss Brooks? The Star and Garter Burlesque. <laughs> Once again, here is our Miss Brooks. Well, there wasn't much sense in sitting around in my drafty dress, so I said goodbye and backed out of the Conklin. When I arrived home, Mrs. Davis was most helpful and had just finished sewing me up when the phone rang. Hello? Oh, hello, Miss Brooks. This is Mr. Boynton. I've been thinking of how lovely you looked in your new dress today, and I wondered if you'd like to take a little walk this evening. Oh, you, you took me by surprise, Mr. Boynton. I'm afraid I dropped the receiver. Hold on a moment, I'll pick it up. <laughs> I'm sorry, Mr. Boynton, but I can't see you tonight. But why not? It's a beautiful night. The moon is out, stars are out, 
If this wasn't a party line, would I give you an answer? This is Burns running and tune in next week to another Our Miss Brooks show brought to you by Palmolive Shave Cream for a smoother, more comfortable way to shave and Colgate Dental Cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth and help stop tooth decay. Our Miss Brooks starring Eve Arden is produced by Larry Burns, written by Al Lewis and Arthur Allsberg with the music of Wilbur Hatch. If you like mysteries that are as full of chuckles as chills, be sure to hear Mr. and Mrs. North every Tuesday over this same network. And be with us again next week at this same time for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Bob Lamont speaking. Stay tuned now for Jack Benny. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Stay tuned for Candy Matson, female detective, next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for female detective Candy Matson and the episode called Devil in the Deep Freeze. Hello, Yukon 28209. Yes, this is Candy Matson. Got an old corpse kicking around you want identified? Know of any good murders you want solved? We've got just the girl for you. Her name is Candy Matson. Mighty cute, too. She fills out a size 12 suit to just the right proportions. Soft blonde hair, two sparkling blue eyes, and all in all, she looks as though she might have stepped right off a Varga calendar. And what's more, she's a private eye. You scoff? You ridicule? I'll let you see for yourselves. Listen. She's talking on the phone right now. Hello, Candy Matson. Hello, Miss Matson. I'm afraid you don't know me. That makes it even. You don't know me. Let's go from there. I've read about you in the papers, Miss Matson. You handle confidential cases. That's right. However, there's a little matter of a fee involved. Yes, yes, I know. I can pay. That's item number one. Now to item number two. What's the confidential case? I possibly tell you on the phone, Miss Watson. I said it was confidential. Mm, okay. Where do you want to talk? I am the proprietor of a restaurant, the Charlemagne in North Beach. Oh, yeah. I ate there once. Oh, that's nice. No, it wasn't. I didn't like the food. Oh. However, I'll overlook it. Do you want to talk in about an hour? That will be fine, Miss Watson. Good. And your name would be... Martinello. Carlo Martinello. Okay, Mr. Martinello. And uh, have some ink in your pen. It costs money just to talk. I probably sounded rough and commercial, but you have to be in this racket. Most people look in a private eye as a musician. They invite you to a party and expect you to bring your harp for free. But uh-uh, I learned the hard way a long time ago. So now they pay in advance and take their chances later. That's the way it was with this Martinello. I was at home in my penthouse on Telegraph Hill, out on the porch taking a sun bath. And the phone rings, and it's this Carlo character. That part was all right, because I can always use new customers. But what made me mad was the fact that I had to stop listening to the 49ers belt the bejabers out of the Cleveland Browns at Kizar Stadium. But I followed through and uncovered a couple of very done-in bodies along the way. Do you like the grotesque in your whodunit? Then follow me and we'll tiptoe lightly through the tibbets, the ponds, and the baccalonies. Because part of the story unfolds at the opera house. 
Reluctantly, I dressed into something Charlemagne-ish, turned off the 49ers Cleveland game, and went down to talk to Martinello. His place was typical, located on Powell Street, a garish neon sign, and as you walked in, the air place was air-conditioned by eau de garlic. Yes, miss. You wish a table? I wish a table, yes. With the right party, I'm looking for the owner. I am the owner. I am Candy Matson. Oh, Miss Matson. Walk this way, please. If I could walk that way, I'd revive vaudeville. Pardon? Where is your office? Right over here. Allow me. After you, Signorina. Thank you, Signor. Here, sit down, please. Thanks. Now, Martinello, what's on your mind? Always, all my life, I have run a very nice, respectable place. Mm-hmm. Until this morning. What's with this morning? I go down to the basement. My icebox is down there. That is where I keep all my meat. So, you wanted some ground round? Oh, no, no. Perhaps I'd better show you. Please, you will come with me. Martinello led the way out of his office and down a flight of stairs. A cold blast hit my face. A musty aroma smothered my nostrils, and if I had had a phobia about darkness, I'd have ducked out then. But I followed the guy, and we ended up in front of a refrigerator about the size of an inquisition chamber. He opened the door, and it was the usual restaurant icebox, choice legs of lamb hanging from hooks, potential fillets, and thick New York cuts. The box was cold, and I started to shiver. Not from the refrigeration, though, because over in the corner was a man. He looked like something out of a long-lost Arctic expedition. He had a long, flowing mustache, every bristle of which was coated with ice. He was quite frozen and quite dead. I slammed the door shut and reeled out. The sight had staggered my thought processes. Martinello reached over by a salami slicing table and turned on a Mazda, a weak affair that cast dim shadows about the damp basement. Is that your little surprise? Yes, Mr. Matson. That is what I was greeted with this morning. Have you notified the police? Oh, no, no, no. Why not? As I told you, I have run a very respectable place. And, too, that is why I am hiring you. You can get in trouble, you know. Yes, yes, that is why you must help me. Please, please, Miss Matson, say you will help me. I will pay you anything you say. <sighs> I stick my neck out in the strangest places. Now it's a refrigerator. Okay, Martinello, $2,000. What? Make up your mind. Either I freeze your assets or the police find your frozen friend. Yes. All right. Come. I give you the money now. Now we're getting somewhere. What about him? Oh, he'll keep. He's on ice. Well, this was one for the book. Refrigeration the ugly way. I had to ask a few questions if I was to get anywhere, such as like, do you know the guy? No. Had you ever seen him before? No. Who was the last one to close the icebox last night? I was. Does it lock from the inside? Unfortunately, yes. I was getting places like Wiley was with Hauser. It was inevitable. I had to take my courage in my hand and go down and look at that thing again. There it was, a male Mona Lisa etched in ice. This time I looked closer, I had to. And as I did, I realized I wasn't going to get any identification because this guy was a study in crimson. Underneath all that coating of ice, 
He was dressed in a devil's costume. I slammed the door once again and went upstairs. There I gave Martinello strict orders not to do a thing. Usually in cases like this, you have to wait for a break. They come along like a forcing hand in poker. So I went home to do some thinking. As I arrived, there was an old friend of mine, Rembrandt Watson. Hello, Dove. I'd almost given up. Rembrandt, how did you get in? Your door was open, dear. I took the liberty of coming in. Oh, sure, that's okay. How are things, Candy? All right, I guess. I'm kind of bush, though. I feel about as devaluated as a British pound. You look wonderful, Dove. What's wrong? I've got a deal, but I don't know where to start. Anything I can help you with? No, thanks, Rembrandt. If I told you about it, you wouldn't believe it. I've never doubted you in the past, dear. I know. Well, I was just called in by a minestrone merchant in North Beach. The guy is stuck with a corpse. That's about par for the corpse. The deceased had been sealed in the icebox overnight. I've never seen one like that before. That's the way it is, dear. Many are called, but few are frozen. Oh, get out of here. But, Dove, I just got here. I know, but I've got to change and get down to see Mallard. I'll wait for you, Candy. I haven't seen the gumshoe since before me vacation. All right. I'll be with you in a few moments. I did a fast change, and Rembrandt and I climbed into my car, and we dropped off Telegraph Hill on Don Kearney Street. The Hall of Justice, where Mallard hangs his star, is only a few blocks away, so we made it in about five minutes. Inspector Ray Mallard. Homicide, San Francisco police. A lovable, shaggy dog type of character. Very keen with the crime, but dumb with the dame. Me, for instance. If I want him to say yes, he says no, and vice versa. Well, my ever-loving candy. What's new in the private eye business? Very little. How's the legitimate fatfoot record? Oh, we're holding our arches up. Well, and Rembrandt, I haven't seen you since Pup was a Hector. Please, Inspector, you're making your mixophores. Who writes this dialogue? I'm pretty weak, I know. What's on your mind, Candy? A character named Carlo Martinello. Have you got anything on him? <laughs> What's so funny, Mallory? Nothing, except I eat lunch there about every day of the week. Well, answer my question. Well, there's nothing on Martinello. Arrested a couple of times during Prohibition. He was dabbling in grappa a lot under the table. Have you got a case against the guy, Detective Matson? Oh, cut it out. No, seriously. Why do you want to check on the guy, Candy? No reason. Just thought I'd ask. Uh-huh. Well, Martinello's okay. Just trying to make a living. Only thing I don't like, he loves to sing to his customers. <laughs> That'd be enough to bankrupt him right there. Anything else I can do? No, that takes care of everything. I tell you what, I'm through in about an hour. I'll take you up to Martinello's for dinner. You can see for yourself. No, 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 that, that, that's all right. Okay, Candy, give why, Mallard, dear, what on earth do you mean? You know something about something. I want in. Mallard, and, and I want you to believe this. I mean it sincerely. If I knew something, you'd be the last to know about it. He's got something there. Come, Dove, believe us a while. I hate to do things like that to Mallard. He's been of great help to me in the past. More than once, he's saved my life. But on a deal like this, you have to play it close. After all, a girl has to make a living. For the first time in a long time, I was completely baffled as to where to start. Something had to be done about that cadaver in the icebox, but what? While I was beetling my eyebrows, Rembrandt invited me up to his place for tea. He lives on California Street, just down away from old St. Mary's, and only a bail bond broker's reach from the Hall of Justice. So I accepted. You do forgive the looks of the place, Candy, dear. I had a meeting my philatelist group last night. 
Philatelists? The stamp collectors, dear. Well, I know what they are, but I didn't think they could make such a mess. You don't know philatelists. <laughs> Sit down, though. Make yourself comfortable. I shan't be a moment. That's all right. And Candy, dear, why the wrinkles? I've got cause for wrinkles. This chap in the icebox, Rembrandt. There's something I didn't tell you. He was dressed in a devil's costume. There, there, dear. Your tea will ready in just a minute. You'll feel better. I know it sounds crazy, but it's true. What are you going to do, Candy? I don't know. I can't leave him in that refrigerator forever. Well, get him out, dear. I hate to think of a corpse catching pneumonia. Oh, excuse me, Candy. Help yourself to the tea. Mm -hmm. How do you do? Rembrandt Watson Enterprises. <laughs> Quiet, darling. Who? Oh, hello, Templeton. How are all your steamships? Oh, that's good. What? Could I use to what? To the opera? Of course I could. Why do I'll pick them up at your office. Thank you, Templeton. Goodbye. Candy, dear, do you like the opera? I can take it or leave it. Why? It suddenly develops that I have two tickets tomorrow night for Tales of Hoffman. Oh, Rembrandt, I don't think I can Come, come, Candy. It'll do you good. You've been working too hard. You need a little relaxation. Tales of Hoffman, hmm? Okay. Who's the pal who gave them to you? An old friend of mine, Templeton Woodruff. He runs a steamship to Java and other places Ezio Pinda sings about. I finished the tea and left. Right then, the only opera I could think of was the one going on in an icebox at Martinello's. I've always tried to play straight with Ray Mallard, so I decided to tell Martinello my plan. Miss Mutt, I don't think it's such a good idea. Good evening, to... Carlo. I want to talk to you. That's what I mean. There's a gentleman here who... Well, you've got a gentleman. That's fine. Three more and you've got a crowd. What I want to talk to you about is this. You don't understand. The gentleman I'm talking about is from the police. The police? Yeah. Hello, Candy. Mallard. How about some scallopini? Well, up jumps it. Hello, Mallard, dear. I had an idea you'd like dinner here tonight. Uh, do you know my boy, Carl? Yes, yes, we met. How do you do? How do you do? The signorina wish something to eat? No. No, thanks. I want to talk to you, though, Mallard. Sure. Come on into my booth. We'll share some salami. No, no, thanks. I want to see you downstairs. I don't think the food's as good down there. I agree, but it isn't the food. I'm talking about murder. Once again, I headed down into the catacombs of the Charlemagne. This time, the act was a double. Mallard was right behind me. Then I looked around. We were a trio. Martinello was right behind Mallard. This is it. This is what? This is an icebox. Inside, you'll find a body dressed in a devil's costume. Okay, Carlo, let's humor the lady. Open the thing, will you? I... Yes. I'll open it. <laughs> Lovely view of the beef. It's gone. The body's gone. Okay, Martinello, start talking and make some sense while you're doing it. Please, Miss Matson. I don't know anything. I haven't been down here all day. Get rid of those arched eyebrows, Martinello. You know something. What is it? Wait a minute, Candy. I'll do the questioning. In the first place, Carlo, was there or was there not a body in here? Uh, well... Sure there was. He can't deny it. Here's a check for $2,000 signed by Martinello himself. Well, Carlo? Yes. There was a body, all right. Who was it? Friend of yours? No, Inspector. I never saw him before. 
Why did you call Miss Matson? Why didn't you come to see me about it? Well, you know, Inspector, the police... Uh, just because you were once arrested for bootlegging, Carlo, there's no reason to be afraid of the police. Uh, well, I'll put a couple of my men on the job and see what we can turn up. What? Is that all you're going to do, Mallard? No. Right now, I'm going back upstairs and have some of Carlo's scallopini. Mallard, are you out of your head? Look, Candy, in order to have a murder case, you've got to have a body. Obviously, we're fresh out. And until your pal with the devil's costume turns up, I intend to live my typical everyday life. Don't forget the mushrooms, Carlo. There are times when I get so mad at Mallard, I want to scream. I didn't, though. I only scrammed. I hung on to the 2,000, however. I felt I deserved it just for getting my curiosity aroused, and it was aroused plenty. Corpses don't get up and walk out of iceboxes by themselves. But after all, Mallard had a point. There was nothing to be done without a body. So I went home and waded into a stack of dirty dishes that had been piling up. Then I fixed dinner and started a new stack of dirty dishes. Got a book and ducked into bed. In the morning, I had an idea. After breakfast, I went down to the corner of Broadway and Columbus. That's where North Beach does a neat blend with Chinatown. On the corner was a Joe who sold newspapers. I'd known him for some time, and he seemed to like me. Hiya, Butch. Well, hello there, lady. How are you? Good. Can't complain. Who won the football game yesterday? Yeah, funny thing. I got all the news right inside here for seven cents. I get your point. Give me a chronicle, will you? Sure. Here. Thanks. Who do you like in the feature of Bay Meadows? A goat named Candy. What? What did you say? There's a pig named Candy running in the seventh. Take it or leave it. What a tip. I don't get it. Well, what's really on your mind, lady? Here. Here's a 20. You can play it on Candy all for yourself. Well. Do you know a gent named Martinello Butch? Mm. He owns the Charlemagne down the block. Sure. What about him? That's what I'm asking you. What about him? Oh, he's all right. A little screwy, but he keeps his nose clean. Is that all? Yeah. Should there be more? I don't know. Thanks, Butch. I hope Candy pays off. I was getting nowhere, that was for sure, and the rest of the day went the same way. Dead ends, blind alleys. I checked as many loose ends as I possibly could, but I was still stuck in a quandary. But the crusher claimed late in the afternoon when I got a copy of the late paper and read where Candy came in at Bay Meadows and paid thirty-two twenty. And I hadn't had sense enough to get aboard. When I got home, the phone was ringing. Hello, Candy Matson. Oh, you're Candy Matson. I should play a fanfare. Oh, hello, Rembrandt, dear. How are you? Like an October morning. Every single one of me paws is breathing great, huge gulps of air. What? I just had a facial dove. Most invigorating. Uh, what on earth for? I loved your old pores just the way they were. Candy, you've forgotten. I have? Forgotten what, Rembrandt? We're going to the opera tonight. Oh, Ducky, I'm sorry. I had forgotten. I'm afraid I'll have to renege. Now, Candy, you promised. And I don't care what you're involved in. It'll do you good. But, Rembrandt, I'm working on it. Perhaps you're right. Okay, I'll get ready. Wonderful, dear. Pick me up about a quarter of eight, will you? Pick you up a quarter of eight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and another thing, Lamb. We may have to do some entertaining afterward. Uh, do bring some cash, will you? Mm-hmm. That's the girl. That Rembrandt, always stony broke. 
I guess photography isn't what it's cracked up to be. I didn't mind, though. He's been a friend to me on more than one occasion. Well, if I was going to the opera, I had to start thinking in operatic terms. I fished around in the closet and came up with something that would have done any woman's heart good. One of those strapless affairs that you can't stop breathing in for one moment, otherwise the opera is no longer the main attraction. I powdered perfume, pouted and rouge, and took off after Rembrandt. But just as I started to leave... Just a moment. Well, get a load of the Duchess. Mm -hmm. It won't be Halloween for another couple of weeks yet. Oh, very funny. Come on in, Miller. What are you decked out for, Candy? Something you wouldn't understand. I'm going to the opera. Oh, I love the opera. Any horse opera with Tex Acuff in it. That's what I thought. What's on your mind, Mallard? I've got to pick up Rembrandt in ten minutes. Well, I was just driving by, so I thought I'd stop and tell you the news. News? About what? We found El Diablo. The guy in the icebox? Yeah. Martinello identified him. He was floating in the water off Aquatic Park. Any lead on him? The best. He was Salavini, the second baritone with the opera company. That's all, Candy. I hope you enjoy the performance tonight. A baritone with the opera company. Well, that explained the costume, but it didn't explain a lot of other things. I walked down the stairs with Mallard. He got in his squad car, flicked on the flashing red light, and with a burst of his siren, rolled down the street. I'd have to speak to Mallard about that. All the neighbors had their heads out of their windows as I climbed into my car and followed. What an exit. I picked up Rembrandt and we drove up to the Civic Center. I found a place to park. A minor miracle. The last time I went to the opera, I had to drive almost to Palo Alto and come back by train. Rembrandt's friend must have been very influential. We had seats in the Diamond Horseshoe. They were presenting tales of Hoffman, and a friend of mine, Dorothy Warrenchild, was singing the role of Antonia. It was a fine performance, and after the last curtain, I took Rembrandt, and we went backstage to see Dorothy. This is her dressing room, Rembrandt. Yes? Hello, Dorothy. This is Candy Metz, and I have a friend with me. Oh, do come in, please, Candy. Candy, how are you? Couldn't be better. Dorothy, may I present Mr. Watson? Rembrandt, this is Miss Warrenchild. Delighted. You're in magnificent voice tonight, dear, dear. Thank you. Sit down, won't you? I've only a moment. We're rehearsing some of the scenes in Faust tonight. Rehearsing after a full evening's performance? It has to be done, Candy. Our baritone disappeared. We've had to replace him with a new man. Yes, yes, I know. By the way, Dorothy, I heard you on your Standard Hour broadcast a few weeks ago. It was a wonderful performance. I'm glad you liked it, Candy. I always look forward to those. What are your plans, Dorothy? Well, the season closes here, and then we open in Los Angeles. Oh, yes, of course. Excuse me. Mm -hmm. Come in. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know you had guests. That's all right. Oh, Candy, I'd like to introduce Rolf Herbert. This is Miss Matson and Mr. Watson. Nice to know you. Mr. Herbert is our new baritone. Oh, yes. That's why we're rehearsing tonight. I uh, won't take any more of your time, Dorothy. I just thought we'd save a few moments of rehearsal if I told you that I don't uh, move in that last scene. I sing upstage. That will leave you free to take as much stage as you like. Fine, Rolf. That will save time. Thanks. Oh, not at all. Glad to have met you, Miss Matson. Mr. Watson. Nice to have met you, sir. Yeah, see you on stage, Dorothy. Yes, Rolf. Rolf has a wonderful voice, and he's a good actor, too. You know, I think he'll be even better than Salavini. I've seen...
seen him before. Oh, yes, he's been in pictures and on the concert stage, and in opera, too, but he's he's never really had a good break. This might be it. Uh-oh, that's it, Candy. I'm sorry, but I'll have to leave. Certainly, Dorothy. Say, why don't you stand in the wings? You can watch the rehearsal if you'd like. Oh, I'd love it. Come on, then, follow me. All right, the places, everyone. Places. This is all right, Candy. You can stay right here. Thanks, Dorothy. Glad to have met you, Mr. Watson. Also, as we used to say in the theater, go out there and kill him. <laughs> See you later. Where's Miss Warrenshaw? Ah, there you are. Herbert, where's Herbert? I saw him just a moment ago in the dressing room. Well, it's late. We've got to keep moving. Please, somebody find Herbert. Ah! From way up in the heights of the stage, the opera house was pierced with a blood-curdling scream. That was no ordinary scream. It was the scream of death. You wait here, Rembrandt. Keep your eyes open. I'm going up to have a look. That scream wasn't in the score of Faust. I punched the button for the backstage elevator. It's a good thing they work fast and are speedy. Once inside, I pressed the button for the fourth gallery. I got out. This was the top of the opera house. The place was loaded with old sets, props, paper mache alligators, gold goblets. Then, over on the other side of the catwalk, I saw it. The body of a man all crumpled and distorted. I hit the catwalk and ran over. It was a hundred feet above the stage, and as I looked down, I could see a score of strained faces looking up through the darkness. I got on the other side and bent over the body. It was that of Rolf Herbert. Randy, down here. I think your man just jumped down underneath the stage. Again, I did a Mel Patton. The elevator shot me down to the stage level, and there was Rembrandt, wild-eyed. He came down the elevator on the other side, Candy. Then he cut across the stage and down those steps. Come on, Rembrandt, follow me. I may need help. We ran down the steps and into the bowels of the stage. It looked like a nightmare, a myriad of cross beams of steel for the rising stages. We cleared those and went around by the chorus dressing room. There was only one out. I remembered it. A door over in the corner, very seldom used, but it was open. It led into a long tunnel with giant steam pipes running overhead and to the right. This went underground over to the veterans' building. Down by your feet, there's a stream of water flowing in a trough. The old Hayes Valley Creek. Our killer decidedly knew his opera house. As we entered the tunnel, I could see him up ahead running like crazy, so we took off after him. We made the other side, and it breaks into a big engine room. As we came into the opening, I looked around. The engineer was lying on the floor out like a light, blood spurting from his scalp. Then I glanced up. There was another door. This led into the veterans' building itself and an avenue of escape onto Van Ness. I ran up. Then as we got into the long corridor, I saw Martinello breaking for the door. Stop! Stop, Martinello! Stop! You think I am a fool? I do if you don't stop! Try and get me! Okay, pal. You asked for it. It was the first time I had ever shot a man. It didn't feel good. But he lived, and later the doctors of law gave him a little pill. The cyanide kind they dropped inside the gas chamber at San Quentin. Martinello paid his debt. Details? Sure, I'll fill him in now. Martinello loved to sing. Ray Mallard had told me that. 
For years, Carlo had been hanging around the opera house, hoping to step into a role. This season, a director had jokingly told him that if he ran out of baritones, he'd let Carlo take over. Carlo took him seriously. He lured Salavini down to his restaurant on a fake emergency call, costume and all, and did him in. But then he became frightened. That's when he called me. It was worth $2,000 to have me hush things up. But I don't operate like that. He had a hunch I was going to tip off Mallard. That's when he removed the body from the icebox and dumped him into the bay. Carlo had also been at the performance of Tales of Hoffman. That's when he learned that they'd wrestled up Rolf Herbert to sing in place of Salovini. By this time, Martinello was obsessed with the idea of singing in the opera house and wouldn't stop at anything. Right after Herbert left Warren Chode's dressing room, he managed to get Herbert into the elevator and up to the fourth gallery behind the stage. That scream was produced by a six-inch stiletto through Herbert's heart from the hands of Martinello. And that's when our chase began. I hope I never see that tunnel under the opera house again. That Mallard and his sentiments. It was he who gave me that gun just a week before, for my birthday. He said I needed protection. Well, darn it, I do. But I can't get Mallard to believe me. Instead, he just gives me guns. Listen again at this same time next week. For excitement and adventure, just dial... Candy Matson, Yukon 2A209. Heard tonight were Harry Bechtel as Ralph Herbert, Jerry Walter as Carlo Martinello. Henry Left plays the role of Inspector Mallard and Jack Thomas as Rembrandt. Dorothy Warren Schold, star of the Standard Hour and the San Francisco Opera Company, was heard as herself. The program stars Natalie Masters as Candy and is written and produced by Monty Masters. With the exception of Miss Warren Schold, any resemblance to actual people in tonight's play is purely coincidental. Candy Matson comes to you from San Francisco. This is Dudley Manlove speaking. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Bob and Ray, followed by Hopalong Cassidy. Thanks to Joe Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.